The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is where we'll be today. And uh, I know already uh, what time it is. Uh, This is a long passage. I thought I would get through this passage last week. Uh, Didn't get through it last week. Was planning to get through it today. I may not get through it today. There's at least a couple of built-in bail spots on this one uh, that I'm, I'm going to be willing to take and to, and to bail out quickly. We may call it short at some point, but nevertheless, there is God's Word here for us. And we need the Word of God more than we need air in our lungs. And so I want to share this with you. Last week, we began this passage, and we talked about that one of the things that was going on here in the church in Corinth was there were some that were claiming that they were spiritual, but others were not. Or that at the very least, that they were more spiritual because they had a certain gift. And largely, we see in the context that that gift that they are touting as being the supreme gift of being able to tell whether one was spiritual or not, it it centers around the gift of tongues. And so, we want to look at this today. But Paul says to them in those first three verses... It's not those that are spiritual. The the ones that are spiritual are not those that are pagan that are following after and worshiping mute idols. He reminds them of their past, that they at one time were pagans, and they thought they were being spiritual in in the false worship they were pursuing. Then he says, nor is it those that are religious but don't know who Jesus is. You can be religious all day long. You can come to church services. You can serve here and there and do all sorts of good things. But unless you know who Jesus is, Ephesians 2 and other places say that you are spiritually dead, that you're not spiritual at all. So Paul reminds them that it's not not the pagan who worships false idols or the religious person who really doesn't worship Jesus, but it's the one who by the power of the Spirit says Jesus is Lord. Okay. So now he's going to switch from talking about who are the spiritual to what they wrote to him about, these spiritual gifts. What are these spiritual gifts? Why are there so many spiritual gifts and and the like? I want us to read uh, verses 4 through 11 today, and we'll jump in and walk through this as far as we can in our time allotted. So let's let's, uh, read this together. Verse 4. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4 says, Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. Now, in those first three verses that we read, 4, 5, and 6... There is a word that is repeated three times. It's repeated in each of those. There's probably more than one word that's repeated, but there's one that I want to point out to you, and it's the word varieties. He said there's varieties of gifts. There's varieties of service. There's varieties of activities. 
What Paul's saying to them is, you're saying that there's one gift, or maybe a couple of gifts, that, that make you spiritual, that indicate to everyone else you are spiritual. And what Paul says is, no, 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 there are varieties of gifts. I want to ask you this question as we start this morning. Why are there so many gifts? Why is there such variety? Why are there so many gifts? Well, I point out that word to you, varieties, repeated three times, but I also don't want you to miss the Trinity in these three verses. This Trinitarian language here. He says that there's varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. You see there the mentioning of the Spirit, the Son, or the Lord, common name for Him, and God, which is commonly referred to as the Father. We see here the Spirit, the Son, and the Father in these three verses together. So why are there so many different spiritual gifts? I think it's wrapped up in that. The very fact here that Paul brings their attention back and says, look, this is not simply the Spirit out out going rogue on His own. This is the Spirit, this is the Son, this is the Father. They're all working in conjunction to bring varieties of gifts and service and empowerments and activities to the body of Christ. He says, "Don't, don't give one superiority over another. Why are there so many different spiritual gifts? Well, What's the name of this series that we're in? The name of this series is A Living Reflection of the Living God. Paul knows as he writes back to these, responding to their letter to him, that they are not often reflecting a living God. Instead, more often than not, they are reflecting the culture that's around them. And what Paul says is when you argue and say that that this has to be this way or it's not at all, then Paul says you're cutting short what it means to reflect God. Paul here shows that variety accurately reflects God himself. Just as in this, this text when it says there's the Spirit, there's the Lord, there's God, just as there's variety in the Trinity... There's diversity there, among great unity there. In the same way, gifts have been given to the church so that there would be great unity in the church that would show itself through great diversity of spiritual gifts. You see it? I mean, Paul starts out in verses 1 through 3 by showing that the church comes together. Remember how many times we said, he says that there, that when you come together, when you come together, when you come together. He starts out in verses 1 through 3 and shows that when they come together in unity, they do so through the empowering of the Holy Spirit leading them to say, Jesus is Lord. So our unity, our common ground here is that every one of us comes the same way. There's not, there's not some of us that, that are here because, hey, you know, we grew up in the church and our parents were here in this church and our grandparents were in this church. Therefore, hey, we're just sort of grandfathered in, Right? And the rest of us, we're, we're kind of, we're coming, you know, this way or we're coming that way. No, the reality is we're here today in this church, not because of who our parents were, but because of faith in Jesus as Lord. It's the gospel. This is what brings us unity. But then he goes from there and he shows that we're brought together in this unified confession of Jesus as Lord. But as we gather and rally around that, 
God displays himself in a variety of gifts. Paul shows he wants them to see and wants us to understand that that doesn't mean that we all become clones living in some walled-off-from-the-world compound. No, instead, first God shows his power and his grace to us by speaking to those who are spiritually dead and calling them to walk, asking them to get up and walk. That's his power, and that's what unifies us. But then he says, then after that, God displays his graciousness. He shows the, the world and us more of who he is by displaying in us a variety of gifts. D.A. Carson says it this way. D.A. Carson is one of the greatest theological minds of our time, and he says this. The triune God loves diversity so much so, as someone has remarked, that when he sends a snowstorm, he makes each flake different. You ever thought about that? He goes on to say, we manufacture ice cubes, but God sends an entire snowstorm. And I don't know if you've ever done this, just stood out there in the snow. And some of you probably thought it was going to snow yesterday (laughs) in August, you know. But you stand out there in the snow sometimes, and you're wearing gloves, and you just catch snowflakes and you just look and every one of them is different this is our god our god is beyond measure a few weeks ago my family and i were at the beach and we were in a particular section of the beach where shells had just washed up all over the beach and we just we just went out on our last day there and we just walked ankle deep knee deep in the water and we watched where those shells were being rolled over in the surf and we would watch and we would pick up anything big which is kind of scary at times but we just pick up anything big And it's amazing the diversity of things we picked up. My daughter reached down and she picked up a conch shell that was perfectly intact, just swirled around and the coloring on it and and all the intricacy of it. And I reached down and I pick up something that just looks like just some cylinder-looking thing and it's just shiny and it's got different colors in it. And somebody over here picks up what's probably an oyster shell and somebody over here picks up this shell. And you look at them all and they're all so diverse. Well, where does it come from? comes from the hand of an almighty God who just displays his glory just in simple things like seashells. I mean, you ever watch Shark Week? Every year you watch Shark Week and you want to see the great whites, but they have those other shows on during Shark Week and they'll show you something that you thought never could possibly exist, that they thought possibly was extinct or that they had discovered for the first time. Did anybody see that one on the, the, the mega mouth shark? Was that thing not ugly as all get out? But even in its ugliness, does it not show the creativity and the diversity of God? Our God's amazing. And, And what we want to do is we want to come to this issue of spiritual gifts and we want to say, well, no, God is going to operate like this. And if I'm going to be spiritual, then it means that I've got to be like this. And what God wants us to see oftentimes is, no, I'm bigger than that. It doesn't mean that we can't know certain things absolutely about God because we absolutely can. What he's revealed about himself, we can know and we can state it definitively. But there are some things that we don't know about God. And one of the greatest things about heaven is that we will spend all of eternity learning new things about God. The wonder will never go away. I heard I heard someone say the other day, when the worship in heaven takes a break, I don't believe it's ever going to take a break. 
And that doesn't mean that we're just going to be singing all the time because some of you, that, would, that wears you out. I think worship is so much more than singing. I think we're going to be blown away by what we know of God there. And nothing of what we learn there will contradict what we can know absolutely here. But we can count on the fact that He is diverse and He is going to be blowing our minds throughout all of eternity. Isn't that good? D.A. Carson also, he continues and he says this, Doubtless, the church is in some sense like a mighty army. But that doesn't mean that we should think of ourselves as undifferentiated khaki. You ever seen an army marching together, all wearing the same uniforms, all doing the same motions and all that sort of thing? He says it's not like that. We should be more like an orchestra. Each part making its own contribution to the symphonic harmony. Dictators of the right and left seek to establish their brand of harmony by forcefully imposing monotonous sameness, by seeking to limit differentiation. God establishes His brand of harmony by a lavish grant of highly diverse gifts, each contributing to the body as a whole. So much of the modern Christian voice seems to be advocating for diversity, doesn't it? I mean, hasn't, hasn't Christian music come a long way in the last 20 or 30 years? I mean, it's come a long way. But I remember those days, uh, early days of Michael W. Smith, and Stephen Curtis Chapman, and Amy Grant. We thought, man, that we are pushing the envelope now, you know. I mean, we were, we were cool, we thought, you know, then. So much, of the, so much of the voice in contemporary Christian music is, is so similar in so many ways to everything else in the culture. And oftentimes the, the Christian voice, and I'm not just picking on Christian music, I'm talking about so much of Christian culture, this subculture. It, it, it pushes diversity. It pushes kids to be unique, be yourself, but it does so for the wrong reason. Instead of saying, be what God's made you to be in the church for the building up of the church, for the glory of God, instead it says, be whoever you want to be. Instead, the Christian voice mimics the culture. It puts man at the center as the star the Christian voice sometimes is very, not very different than American Idol or The X Factor or America's Got Talent. And this is the way we view Christianity. And some of us sit in the seats every week and we look at those who have it and we think, I don't have it. I'm not like them. Or it pushes us to go the other way and to try to measure ourselves off and, and try to step on our brothers and sisters to elevate ourselves above someone else, claiming that we're closer to God than they are or more spiritual than they are. And this is exactly what the Corinthian believers were doing. But we weren't given varieties of gifts to make much of ourselves as individuals. Instead, we've been given gifts. To be used, hear me, in the church so that the world would gain a better understanding of God. Do you understand that, and we're going to look at a verse here in just a minute, but do you understand that when the body functions like the body is designed to function, the body of Christ here, when it functions the way it is designed to function, not only does the church grow, 
into what it was designed to become. But also the watching world looks on and says, I like their God. They either say, I like their God or I can't stand their God. One of the two. But they are intrigued and they are bothered nonetheless. They get a better understanding of who he is. So why are there so many spiritual gifts? I would say the first reason is this, to give us a better picture of who God is. Diversity shows us a more accurate picture of our God. Our God's amazing. Amen? Secondly is this. What's the purpose of spiritual gifts? Verse 7. The Bible says here, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. I want to pick apart some of those words there. I want to look at first, to each. Nobody gets a pass. If you're here today and you are a believer in this room, you're genuinely a born-again, saved person in this room, you don't get a pass. You don't get to just come in and sit. You don't, you don't, you don't get to you know, trust Christ as Savior and then just sit down for the next 50 years. We're called to serve. He says here, each is given. Everybody. Nobody can say in a self-pitying, prideful way, well, everybody else seems to have so much to offer, but I don't, I don't, I don't have anything. That's self-pitying, but I also want to include it to you there. That is pride. Because when you sit back and say, everybody else, I mean, the, the Eeyore out there, everybody else has something. I don't have any. I mean, it's pride, isn't it? It's turning it back on you and terminating it on yourself and wanting everyone to see you and have pity on you. And we can't say that because here, you don't get a pass. Every believer has been given a gift. Nor can we sit in and, and, and a puffed up way, elevate ourselves, and say in, in also a prideful way, maybe a more glaringly prideful way, this church is lucky to have me. i got so much to offer. I bet they just thank God all the time I'm here. You know, you, you can't do that either. That's pride as well. You're saying exactly what the Corinthians were saying, that my gift is better than what they have. What Paul wants us to see here is everybody who is a believer, is gifted to be a gift giver. You're gifted to be generous. You're gifted to give how God's designed you to give. Nobody gets a pass. And then he says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That word, a couple of words there together, literally means with a view to profiting. With a view to profiting, it literally means that We come together and we operate with these gifts that God has given us so that we might build one another up. The church word is edify. That we might edify one another. That we might build one another up. Again, these are not for personal gain. The gifts are not given to you for your own personal pleasure or for your privatized profit. They're not for you. Now, they can, you can benefit from them, and you can enjoy them. I discovered, and this is not bragging, this is saying I, I know how God's gifted me for his kingdom. I remember when I discovered that God had given me a gift for teaching. 
It just felt like I was in my sweet spot. I felt like I was, at that moment, bringing more glory to God doing that than when I was doing anything else. I heard one preacher describe it as, I just felt like I was snow skiing. You ever come off a lift with snow skiing? You don't have to put forth a lot of effort. Point your skis downhill and you just go, right? And and that's how it feels when you're in this gift, when you're serving there. David Platt said said it this way in his book, Follow Me. He said, a privatized faith in a resurrected king is practically inconceivable. Now think about that. We, We can conceive of privatizing it for ourselves, so it's practically inconceivable, but it was never designed for that. We can't privatize this faith in a resurrected king. If we truly believe in a resurrected king, then a resurrected king calls us to go on mission for him. If you are here and you are a believer, I would challenge you. I'm begging you as a pastor, get in the fight. Get up out of the seats and serve. We are already, those of us who are in Christ, we are already saved. But guess what? We're not all that we're going to be. We already have a new address but we've not moved in yet. Listen to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. And just I want to highlight some words as I walk through this with you. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip. Isn't that a powerful word? To equip. If someone equips you, if someone puts a sword in your hand or, or puts a weapon in your hand, They're equipping you because there's something that's going to come your way that you're going to need that for. They're not simply saying, hey, they were giving these out the other day. They're free. Have one. They're equipping you. He says, God gave these to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. There is right now in this world, in this already but not yet existence, we're already saved, but we're not with Christ yet in eternity. We're going to war against being blown by winds of doctrine, deceitful schemes. And what we need is one another to function the way God's designed us to function in the church to bring glory to Him, to build the church up so the world sees a better picture of Him. To finish out this, this passage, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. If I can say anything to you today in love, this passage just said, speaking the truth in love. If I can say anything to you in love, As your pastor, one of the things that I am concerned about is the amount of apathy and complacency that I see among this faith family. You can get mad at me. 
And you can, you, can, you can throw stones at me and you can do all of that. But there are, there's a few of you in this room, you are working your tails off. And, and you understand, you're not working your tails off in order to get into heaven. You're working because there's a love for Christ there that compels you to serve Him, to be on mission because you have a faith in a resurrected King. But there are a lot of you that are doing nothing but sitting. Coming in once a week. Expecting to be fed. If things don't go your way, well, this is not feeding me. There's just nothing there for me. I, I don't know. I may, just, I may just go somewhere else. If there's anything I can say to you is, look, you were not saved to sit. Yes, we want you to rest in Christ and Christ alone, but you were saved to go on a mission with Him, to make disciples for Him, to use your giftedness as He has seen fit for His glory in the church. You say, well, how, how can I jump in? There are people needed in volunteer positions all over this place. We're constantly needing people to work with children. I was back there this morning, working with two- and three-year-olds in Sunday school. My wife and I are teaching two- and three-year-olds. I'm the pastor, and I don't mind doing that, but I'm back there with two- and three-year-olds. I love it. I love those kids. We got seven two- and three-year-olds back there this morning. That's a lot, right? I mean, that, that's a lot. We didn't lose any, but, but that's a lot. You know, and, and they, don't, they, don't, they don't always get everything. You know what our main point was today? Solomon built the temple. Solomon built the temple. So we, we built the temple with blocks, and we took cups, and we stacked, and we did all this stuff, and we were down playing with them, and they would say, hey, can we go outside? No, we're not going to go outside today. We don't go outside on Sunday mornings. It's wet out there. We're going to stay right here. Hey, Solomon built the temple. We're doing this stuff. We constantly need people to just get in the floor and build with blocks and teach kids, hey, Solomon built the temple. We need people to volunteer with the youth ministry. We need people in the sound booth. We need people to greet. We need people to help with parking. We need people to pick up things and clean. We need all kinds of service in this place. Some of you say, well, I don't know what I would do. There's plenty to do. There's plenty to do. This is not a doing. Hear me. This is not a doing so that you gain favor with God. This is a doing because you already have favor with God. Now, I'm going to skip most of this. I'm not going to get into all the different, what these different gifts are. I may come back to it next week and, and look at a little bit of this. So you're not going to walk away knowing exactly what he means when he says prophecy or gifts of healing or miracles or tongues or interpretation of tongues and all that kind of stuff. But I just simply want you to notice in verse 7 when he says, every person has been given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That word manifestation is a word that he uses to point back to and sum up those things that were listed in 4, 5, and 6. In that word manifestation, he says that there are varieties of gifts. That, that word gifts there is the word charismata. It's those more charismatic gifts. It's those things here listed in this text like speaking in tongues and prophecies. Those that are more spectacular and exciting. He also says there's varieties of service. This is the word diakona. Diak- I can't say that word. It's where we get the word deacon. Okay, it's, it's that word. It means common, menial work. It means things like waiting on tables. 
It means things that are behind the scenes, that nobody, nobody sees you. You're not the one up front. You're not the one getting the credit. You're behind the scenes, and you're just, you just do it, and nobody, nobody questions how that gets done. I mean, you ever thought about that? I mean, they may not always be stocked perfectly, but have you ever thought about how do the envelopes and the pens get in the backs of these chairs? It just happen. Like, like the Spirit just sweeps through on Sunday afternoon and just... New envelopes, you know? It's things like that. And he says also there are varieties of activities. This is a word referring to the energy or the power of God. These are things that he mentions here in this text of miracles and healings. Those things that are just mind-blowing. Like, that doesn't happen. And what he's saying here is every person has given a, been given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Every person has been given. And they don't have to be the, the fancy, spectacular gifts or the extremely powerful gifts that nobody can get the credit for except God. Sometimes they're the ones in the middle that are just routine stuff. They're just junk that just has to be done. Right? Setting up tables. Preparing communion. I mean, just, just stuff, right? He says here, it's all been given to you. Now, I'll, I'll close with this. I want to be a part of a church, and I think you do as well, where we see the manifestation of the Spirit of God. Don't you want to be a part of a church that is powerful, where you see the glory of God on display. Don't you want to be in a church like that? John Piper says this. He simply said this in a sermon and I thought it was good. I just wrote this down. Listen, John Piper says, I've been in churches where the efficiency of human effort is so refined and the prayers are so mechanical that one is tempted to think this verse is being written not to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit, but from each one is offered a manifestation of human effort. You come away not with the impression that the Spirit is being manifested in that church with power and supernatural shaking, but rather, that's a well-oiled machine. I don't want to be a pastor of a church that's just a well-oiled machine. I don't want to be a pastor of a church where I come to church every Sunday and just know exactly everything's going to happen. And I don't, I'm not talking about I want there to be chaos. I think worship should be conducted orderly and all those sort of things. But I want to, I want to come saying, God, what are you going to do today? God, what are you going to do as your people step out on faith and trust you, call out to you as we look for you and we depend on you? God, what are you going to do today? John Piper says, he goes on and he says, the work of the church is a supernatural manifestation of the Holy Spirit or it is a prostitution of its calling. That is strong. Are we going to be a church, and I'll close there, are we going to be a church that says, I don't really care to get involved. I don't really want to do anything. My life's busy. I got all these other things going on. I, I, can't, I don't have time for that. Or are we going to say, God, you are more valuable. You are the treasure that's worth leaving everything for. And you, God, have given me a gift. And so, God, I want to use that gift to build your church to your glory 
so the world might see a more complete picture of what you are like. I pray that we would be the second. Now you say, how we do that? Well, hopefully this uh, spring, just after the new year, hopefully we're going to be offering again place uh, where we'll be able to take you through and help you walk through what is your spiritual gift, what's your personality like, what, what, what's, your, what, what's your experience, what are you passionate about, and all these things. And we'll be able to sit down with you as a tool and say, you know, this could be an area where you could jump in and serve. This seems like this would be a good fit for you. We're hoping to be able to offer that again just after the first of the year. We don't want to do that now simply because we're going into Imagine. And we want everybody here to plug into Imagine starting September 22nd over those nine weeks together because we as a faith family want to learn what it means to be stewards for God. But you say, well, well you're telling me I got to wait? I got to wait all the way till January to jump in and find out where I'm supposed to serve? Absolutely not. Here's what I'm telling you. If you don't know what your spiritual gift is, if you don't know how God's gifted you, just jump in somewhere. You'll know very quickly whether you're serving in an area where you're gifted or not. Won't you? Anybody ever, you don't have the gift of teaching, but someone roped you into teaching a class? You get in there and you're like, this is torture. You know, and you, you speak for two minutes and you got like 43 minutes left, you know, and you're, what are, the, what are we going to do, you know? It's just, I mean, it's like, it's, it's the opposite of snow skiing downhill. Instead, you feel like you're trying to run through a pool of water, chest deep. You're just trying to run and sprint, and it's just hard. You're not getting anywhere very fast. But if you jump in and, and serve somewhere, look, nobody here is going to say, hey, you've got to stick with it. I mean, there's some things, there are some things that you, that when you sign up, you commit for. Being a deacon, you're committing for two years. When, when you sign up on certain committees, you're committing for a, a certain amount of time. But there are other things, parking lot, here and there. You can jump in, and nobody's going to say, if you get in there and go, man, this is, I mean, I, I'd rather pull my toenails out than this, right? Nobody's going to be going, you signed up, you're in there, right? And we don't want you to just leave holes. We want you to be responsible But jump in and serve and see if you don't find along the way something that feels like a sweet spot to you. Jump in. There are ministries here. Maybe you say, well, I don't know where I would jump in. Maybe there's something that God's laid on your heart already that you're already passionate about. And you have this, come talk to me. Let's let's talk about it. I I go back to... um, a few years ago, when we were still over at Woods Chapel, and I was talking about this, and Ray came to me one day and said, hey, I've got this idea. I don't know what it'd be like, but hey, what if we just got a bunch of helium and some balloons and just went over to the barnyard and started blowing up balloons and giving them out? We're here almost four years later, and we're still giving out balloons at the barnyard and at Abner Creek Academy. We got people sitting in this room that came here because they got a balloon. So what is it that God's laid on your heart? Jump in somewhere and serve. Let's don't be a church of people who are simply mooching. Let's be a people who are called. Called and gifted to serve. Amen? Let's pray together. Jesus, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that um, you're, you're gracious in your gifting. God, I pray for this church. Lord, I pray for the, just, I I thank you that you give me the freedom to be able to say what I need to say.
And God, I pray today that by your grace that you would help it to be received in the spirit in which it was said. God, I pray that you would take your word and and my words today, God, and that you would move your people to obedience. God, I pray that you would accomplish whatever it is that you've set out to accomplish through this church for your own glory. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.